It has been well established that Patient and Family Advisory Councils, or PFACs, are an excellent way to capture the patient's voice and perspective. These councils help healthcare institutions and providers to hear the voice of the patient, identify the needs of their patient population, and bring patient and clinician's views closer together. In this four-part series, we'll hear from leaders in this area and explore the important role of PFACs as hospitals navigate the COVID-19 pandemic. Welcome to Advancing Health, a podcast brought to you by the American Hospital Association. I'm Tom Hederly with AHA Communications. Today, in the second episode of our four-part series on Patient and Family Advisory Councils, or PFACs, Elisa Araspakojaga, AHA Vice President of Clinical Affairs and Workforce, sits down with Jacqueline Beckerman, Chief Patient Experience Officer and Senior Director at Eye Care Commitment at the University of Rochester Medical Center, to discuss how to go about establishing a PFAC and the importance of representing all aspects of your community. Thanks, Tom. So to get us started, Jackie, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your role at uh, the University of Rochester Medical Center? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me. It's, a, it's an absolute honor to, to be participating. So as you said, I'm the Chief Patient Experience Officer here. Um, I'm, I'm what you call a lifer at the University of Rochester Medical Center. I've been here for over 30 years, and I have probably spent the last 15 to 18 years really focusing on making sure that our patients and their families have the optimal experience and the best experience possible in care that they receive. And one of the things I truly believe and have that whole time is to be able to do that well, you need to make sure that they have a voice and that they are heard. So one of the things that I've worked on extensively over this time is building a real network of patient and family advisory councils. And and that's really become, you know, it's one piece of what I do, but but it's really a significant and, and one of the most important pieces. I don't think we've made some real progress. We certainly have plenty of work to do, but we've made some real progress and I don't think we could have done it if we didn't have our patient family advisory councils. Great. Well, tell me a little bit about what that entails at the university. What is your process and and the team that that leads this work with the patients and families and the advisory councils? Sure. So I have a team of of a few professionals. Um, I'm a very hands-on person, so I've really done a lot of this in terms of PFACs and getting people on. So, So we have a whole, when I say a network, you know, this is over years. We started with one. We were actually, um, we our first patient family advisory council um, started almost 20 years ago. Okay. So it's been around quite a while. You know, one of the first probably in the country. So that is a council that represents the whole medical center. Okay. All of Strong Memorial Hospital, which is our main hospital. And what we realized was that we needed, you know, that it's very important to have that that overall um, council, but we, we needed to make sure we also had councils in our different areas. I think when you talk to most organizations, it's not unusual for them to have this. We also have a children's hospital. So we have a pediatric advisory council for the children's hospital. And actually, we also have for the NICU, okay, our neonatal families. 
we have an advisory council that goes through them. We have the Cancer Center as our as an advisory council that has been very, very involved. And, and those are things that I think you will see at many of the larger organizations. What may be a little unusual in the turn we took was that we realized that they were populations that, you know what, we just clearly were not meeting their needs, okay? And, and we needed to deal with individually. So we started and set up a few based on some what I'm going to say, marginalized populations that just were not receiving optimal care. And we were hearing that consistently. So we have, for example, a behavioral health patient and family advisory council that has been extremely active in the Department of Psychiatry. A few years ago, we started a deaf patient and family advisory council, okay, because we happen to have one of the largest deaf populations in the country per capita. We have a University here, um, Rochester Institute of Technology, that has a huge deaf program, and and many were very fortunate. Many stay in the area, so we have a large deaf population, and it was clear that we needed to to have a, a council onto its own to really deal with with the issues they had. More recently, I think it was now it's two years ago, we started a transgender and gender diverse patient family advisory council. And I can tell you, one of the things I'm responsible for, not to be jealous, but I have all the concerns and complaints under me as well. So I hear all the stories. And I'm going to tell you right now that some of the most tragic stories I heard were from our transgender patients and individuals. And there was no doubt we needed to to have a council that to really make sure their voice was heard. So we have started that. And we are in the process right now of exploring, we, we want to start a Black African American Patient Family Advisory Council as well. So we really have a whole network, each one having a representative on our overall council, which I mentioned at first. So how do you get all these different groups to coordinate, to work together, and and really bring that input together to be able to make change? You mentioned that you have the at least one representative on the central council, but how as a team do you make sure that all of this input is both heard and and then it's, it's coordinated across the work of the, the medical center? I think one of the things we like to do is we actually bring all these councils together twice a year. Once is, and and that's just a, it's always a wonderful event. You know, we'll have anywhere from 60 to 100 patient advisors, patient family advisors there. And one of the sessions we always use to bring in senior leadership and, and make sure anything that's going on in the organization, that they're all hearing about it and, and they can have that direct input um, from our senior leader with our senior leadership. Now, it's not that we won't bring our senior leaders into the individual council meetings as well throughout the year, but this is nice because it's an opportunity for them to talk to all of them and for them to be able to have that um, connection. But the other meeting that we have each year, we actually have each council um, report out on what they've been doing throughout the year. And that is a phenomenal way for them to share. Um, I can't tell you how many times, first of all, it re-energizes people. 
and they just learn from each other and get great ideas and you know wow the deaf council's doing this couldn't we do this in this way and and look at the the um, behavioral health group just did a grand rounds to faculty you know we'd love to do something like that over here so so i think hearing literally they report on everything they've been doing for the past year and it's a great very active meeting and some real productive discussion Sounds like a great way to share. Now, you mentioned that you got to hear, part of your job is to get to hear all of the places where maybe the care didn't go the way we would like or the way we would hope. As you reach out to create these new groups that you've clearly identified there's a need to to work with a community or with, with a different group, how do you build the trust, especially looking at that list of these are the places where we haven't quite done what we should? Okay, so that's a great question. And I think it's a really important one. Because I, I think sometimes we're a little naive and we think, okay, we're gonna go out there and say, hey, we want to make it better for you. Please, you know, come work with us. But you have to understand that some of these groups have not had good experiences with us. Okay. So you know what? It it's not gonna happen overnight. And I think that's important to remember. First thing I think that is vitally important is, you know, listen, I am a white, I guess, middle-aged woman here, okay? So I'm not deaf, I'm not transgender. For me to go out to these communities and, and as the main spokesman just would not make sense, okay? What I have the expertise in, okay, is patient family advisory councils, but I always make sure that we partner with someone from the community. So we have a deaf individual that um, leads our group. I have um, two transgender individuals that have been key in helping us get this started and facilitate the, the group as well. So I do think making sure you partner with representatives from that community is so important. And then it's really, you know, understanding that old verbiage that, you know, actions speak louder than words is true, okay? So I do think, you know, just saying that you're going to make it better is not enough. You have to figure out, and I think you have to talk about right up front, what is success going to look like? Let me tell you what we're doing right now with the Black community. As um, So first of all, I'm partnering with different groups within my organization, okay? So the Department of Equity and Inclusion, I'm partnering with that team to build this group. And we thought, you know, we can't just put out, you know, a shingle and say, hey, we're going to have this council, because I do think, you know, you kind of have one shot to get this right. And the worst thing we can do is say we're going to make it all better and then not see that movement. So what we thought was important is let's let's bring members of the community together. And so we all had a few individuals, whether it was that I had helped with a complaint they dealt with or, you know, one of someone else in the community um, and the committee knew, or they were an activist in, in the field. So we just brought in uh, half a dozen community members. And and just so you know, we actually offered, we, we paid them and said, we offered to pay them, which, you know, and said, listen, we, we want you to be consultants to us, okay? And come in and help us figure out, does this make sense? How should we approach it? And really hear from them. And, and we started with, tell us what your experiences have been. 
And I have to tell you, it was eye-opening, but we have lots of work to do because each one of these individuals all had stories that clearly represented biases in, in, in the experiences they had had. And you know what? We asked them, okay, one of the key things was, what will success look like and how should we measure that? Because if we're going to do this, you know, we need anecdotes are extremely important, but it can't just be anecdotes. Okay. So we, we need to figure out what metrics we'd look like and what, what, what we would do. So we've had now, we're just at our second session with this group and they all have agreed that they think council is important. Actually, most of them aren't going to serve on the council, but we did ask that they be um, kind of an executive group that helps hold us accountable because I do think that's critical. So, you know, I, I think it's kind of figuring out um, that you need to make, you know, you need to start building these relationships and you need to listen and we need to um, be really upfront that, you know, where we can make changes right away, what, what it's going to take and, and really get their help with it. But it doesn't happen overnight. And I'm going to tell you with the transgender group, that's another group that really have had, now the trust isn't there. So we went out to community groups, you know, throughout, throughout, you know, the transgender population there, there's community, there's quite a few um, groups that we went. And, and as I said, bringing transgender individuals who had invested in this, myself and others, you know, we went and talked to them and, and we heard and we listened and we said we wanted to make a start. And, and, and then I think it's small steps, you know, you get a little success and you need to make sure that one of the roles, I think, of the members is to really make sure they go back and share the success with the community as well, okay? To make sure that, that we have that dialogue going back and forth. But, you know, it's building trust takes time. And, you know, I, I would say, you know, it's been now three or four years with the deaf community. And I think we're just now, I would say, they actually really trust that we are there to help and they've seen some progress. Plenty of work still to do, but they're, they're at a good place and, and we're really moving ahead. Good communication and really taking the time to build that trust and, and make those connections. There's no substitute for that work. Absolutely not. And, and I think you have to realize it. it's not it's not just having a great introductory meeting. Right. It's really <laughs> takes that time. You know, it wasn't easy to find members for, for, for example, the transgender group that, that took us a while. And then as as one would person had a positive experience, they told someone else and, and it just started to grow. But it, it's over time. And and really, I, I do believe it's building those relationships. So I know you also work with a number of clinicians who are involved with your PFACs and are, you know, getting advice and input from these PFACs or participating in them and particularly on the behavioral health side. What advice do you have for those clinicians who want to get more connected or want to be working with the PFAC? One of the things I would say to any organization is you really have to be careful that when you're having these PFACs, we, we make them meaningful. And, and what I mean by that is when I first took over that, that original Patient Family Advisory Council we had, I'm going to be honest, it was really set up very much as a show and tell. 
I mean, they would come in and we would just show them all these great things we were doing. And for example, we'd show them this beautiful publication. We'd ask them for their input. They'd give us some and we'd say, okay, great. When we finish handing out these 100,000 that we've already printed, we'll put in some of those additions. Things have shifted so much away from that. You have to get to the point that you don't move forward with anything that involves patients or families without taking that pause and asking for their voice. So we are constantly, and, and this is, you know, things like offering panels with the council members. They're very involved in training our clinicians, okay, which I think is key. For the, you know, I can get up there and tell all kinds of stories, but it will never be as powerful as hearing directly from a patient or a family member. So I think getting the word out that this Patient Family Advisory Council exists is number one. They have to know it's there to, to seek help, right? And I think we're at the point now, I mean, I have presented to chairs and we've gone to all over, and they know now, they come to us. We, we have a waiting list for our agendas because people want to come and, you know, we do it both ways. Sometimes we'll send a representative from a council to a meeting, um, and sometimes we bring them to the council meeting to hear from the whole group. But I think we're now at the point where people, you know, realize that it's there and see it as a huge help. And when they come, it's really pretty, one of the, you know, number one is we just suggest they listen and they listen to what they, you know, that, that saying, listen for understanding, not for responding. And I'll tell you, I think anyone who's come before any of our councils which say that even though they thought they knew what they were going to say and they thought they had this covered, they learn something each and every time. And then I think the word spreads. So, you know, they'll tell other clinicians, but I think really listening and, and being willing to share their feelings about it just as much, but it's that communication. Absolutely. So as we wrap up, what do you wish you would have known when you started this work 20 plus years ago? You know, if you could go back in time and say, hey, Jackie, here are three things you need to know. What would you have told yourself? Okay. Wow. Well, it, limiting to three things is really hard. You can go, <laughs> so, you can go more than three. No, I just mean that you learn so much along the way. Each one and each you know, working with each group is so different. I can't tell you that is it. But I think the number one thing is, is making sure that your councils truly reflect the patients you serve. And getting, you know, I don't think at the very starts we, we did enough to truly make our councils diverse and, and get that diversity that was so important. And to, that, that's not always easy to do that. You know, I, I think you have to, you know, I wish I had thought out of the box right from the start. Okay. You know, simple things, you know, how do you get good attendance? I mean, now, you know, one of the things COVID has done, you know, I'm not, sometimes we get better attendance because virtual can be easier at times than bringing people all together. But, you know, why think that these meetings have to be at the medical center or, you know, if, if we're having trouble getting parents there because they have children, well, why don't we get a babysitter? Get some people who can, so bring your, bring your children. That's fine. And, and they are right next door being entertained by some of our staff and, you know, make it easy for people, you know, everything from offering, you know, cab vouchers, but whatever it is, I think it took a while along the way for me to learn 
that, you know what, we have to be so flexible and constantly be willing to revisit how we do things so that we can, in fact, have a really robust group at all times. I think we've gotten there. I also think that I've learned that at some point you really, you know, the reason why I also went this way of, of having some of these independent councils is because the experience of some individuals is so different than that of others. You know, yes, we had had a deaf individual on our council for quite a while, but that one individual, you know, told me that their experience was so different than the rest of the council that they often weren't comfortable speaking up. Okay. So, you know, really taking that on and, and building those independent councils so that we could really dive in and deal with their issues. So I, I think diversity, and that was a huge piece, as I said, being flexible. I think also there were times where we started maybe working with um, an individual or two and realizing they may not speak for, for everyone. And so making sure that when you start these councils, you really have a broad spectrum of experiences, you know, because it's easy if even on your council, if you happen to have one or two people that speak up always, you know, are we making sure that we're hearing from everyone? So I think it's really making sure that everyone has an opportunity to be heard to have their voice heard, and that isn't always the same way. As I said, I've just learned so much. You know, I think that having our patients and families really help drive the agendas. We used to think we should be driving the agendas, okay? I mean, certainly they are things that we bring because patients will, because, you know, clinicians will bring them to us and we want them, but we now spend a lot of time having the group prioritize and, and making sure that they were driving the work, not just us. One other thing I, I've learned from talking with you and your colleagues as we've done this work is the value of patience. And I, and I mean patience as in the virtue. I, I <laughs> really, that, that this work doesn't happen overnight, but is incredibly rewarding when you can do it. You know, I, I couldn't agree. First of all, it is the most rewarding part of my job, without a doubt. I have learned so much along the way. And now I can be a much better advocate than I ever was before because I have been able to learn. But I will tell you, patience is so important because every council, I don't care what ebbs and flows in terms of engagement, in terms of... So, you know, you just have to have that realization that, okay, as great as the council's working right now, my guess is two years from now, we're going to have to re-energize. We're going to have to concentrate because, because that's just reality, right? Other things are happening, whatever. So, you know, COVID was actually, you know, it made us take a step back for a minute. And I actually thought, wow, will our councils be active or whatever? But, you know, and some were more active than others. But for example, like deaf community, they wanted to meet every two weeks because now it was easier virtually. But realize it, it's, a, it's a journey. It is absolutely a journey. I have some wonderful colleagues that I work with. 
Now, one thing I didn't mention that I want to, you said, how do you make sure that you communicate and have them all working together? I also make sure each group has facilitators from the community, but also an administrative facilitator. And we have all of those people meet on a routine basis to share what's going on and to re-energize each other, you know, to, to constantly re-engage. I think that if I'm ever in one of those places where I think, oh, I have to stay late again, I have a council meeting, I can tell you by the end of that meeting, it always feels so rewarding that um, it makes it all worth it. Well, thank you so much, Jackie, for sharing your experience and all of the resources that you have with our group and being part of our work to create the guide that'll be coming out with these podcasts. Thank you. One of the things that I'm going to send you that I want to make sure people, um, if they have the opportunity, do take a minute. We actually made videos, short, but videos from our council members talking about, you know, what why the council is so important to them. And they're really very powerful. And um, take a minute if you can and listen, because I, I think it helps energize you too, that, that this, is, this is the right way to go. And those links will be up in the guide and on our webpage. Thank you again. Thank you.